Hello. Is this the famous Scotty Papicuri? <laughs> can you hear? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I'm actually going outside. I'm going to be walking as we do this. I just checked uh, the sound, so I can hear you perfectly. Oh, that's great. We can hear wind on your interview. That'll be perfect. <laughs> Go someplace very windy. Yeah, I'm set. I'm right now. I got a, I got a plastic bag over my phone in case it rains. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so that'll be good for the reception, wind and a bag over your phone. That'll, that's setting this up very nicely. I got to tell you, man, I was, I'm was i actually nervous. That's what it yeah, well, we're going to talk a little bit about nerves in comedy a little bit more. But first, I wanted to ask you something. We, This is our first, we want to try to have this as a, what's it, a podcast. Yeah, our first episode, I guess you could say. Our first episode, and we're so happy to have you, because you're like a, a big name. We would save you, but we are friends with you, so we know we could make some mistakes with you as well. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about me. I am not a big name. Nobody knows who I am, but, you know, I've been in the business a long time, and I definitely am an interesting So what we want to do is, like, we want to know, we want everything to be related to comedy. We want to talk about your comedy career, Absolutely. how you started, like, from the very beginning, like, when you were a little the kid. you kind of took. Like, were you watching stuff. TV? How did you even get the idea to get into comedy? Then we'll talk more about what you've done a little later. And, and to open up the show, can you open us up with a joke? With a joke? You know, let's, let's see, when you go on stage, do you have like a, a, a set first joke to start with usually? Like, do you have something you want to open with all the time? Well, what happens is, I uh, first thing I always do, and people make a mistake by not doing this, I greet the crowd. A lot of people just go into their act. It's very impersonal. So I look at the crowd, I'm like, all right, it's great to be here. How you guys doing? Listen, uh, I don't say before I begin. I used to because I'm beginning. So I say, uh, you know, just uh, pull out a little sheet of paper. And I'm like, uh, there's an announcement. Um, there's a 1986 Chevy Nova parked in front. Your lights aren't on. It's just a piece of shit. <laughs> I, I, I love that as an opening joke. Why don't you say what you said? You used to say that I have to make an announcement first before I begin. How come you don't do that anymore? Well, I'm very uh, not analytical. I'm very critical. So, for instance, if I say before I begin, I just began by walking on stage. Okay. So I, I, I take it to that level. And back in the day, I mean, right now people are they think they're the show and they're staring at their phones. You know, nobody, nobody really cares anymore. But back in the day in New York, these things were important. Like I learned from Adam Ferrara, whenever you ask someone something, repeat it into the microphone. So let's say I say, so what do you do for a living? I'm a, uh, and the guy goes, I'm a cab driver. Oh, you're a cab driver. You can assume that they can hear him. So I learned a lot of little nuances that don't seem to mean much, but they mean everything. Oh, that's a nice little tip. So yeah. when I was asking for a joke, what I was more asking you is, yes, give me something how you open. I love that. I've seen you do that opener, and it works every single time. I think it's a great opener. I was in San Francisco. I was doing a tour with the NFL in 1995, and my manager, Tony Camacho, would book me to do a 10-minute guest spot in every city I went, and then I wound up working those clubs later on in my career. But I show up at this place. It's called Rooster Teeth Feathers. I'm, I drive. I rented a Chrysler convertible. I didn't even have a driver's license. So I drive over to the club, and, I, you know, the guy's like, hey, uh, are you Tony's guy? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, listen, 
we got a situation. There's no comedians here. How much time can you do? So I said, I could do whatever you want. So he goes, listen, I'm going to pass you a note. Um, you know, and it's going to be able to say what, what I want you to do. Just do comedy until I pass you the note. <laughs> so I purposely, I purposely didn't do my Chevy Nova joke. I wanted to have it in the bullpen. So I did like a half hour. He sends up a note, and the note says, bring up this guy, and it has his intro on it. Uh. So I said, uh, folks, uh, we have an announcement. And I did that joke. I said, three Chevy Nova parked in front. Your lights aren't on. It's just a piece of shit. That's not the first time you did that. Is that the first time you did that joke? Yeah. No, I I, I did it. No, but it was set up perfectly. I actually stole that. I was doing a tour in 92. My first tour it was really, it was, it was like, it was just a lowbrow tour. A bunch of one-nighters in Pennsylvania and Ohio and stuff. And I, stole that joke from there but so i did that joke and i introduced the guy so he comes off and the guy's like he's looking at me like where did you come from you know what i mean like he's like what would have happened if you weren't here so he goes listen we only have one comedian so go back up and i'll pass you another note you know of what i want you to do so i go back up i do about another 20 minutes he passes me a note. The, stu- the waitress brings it up. Got the introduction of the next act. So I look at the at the paper and I go, "Oh, hold on a second, folks. We got an announcement here. Is there a Mister and Mrs. Tom McHale here?" And I paused and I said, uh, "Your babysitter called. She's out of beer." <laughs> Is that the first time you did that joke? No, I've, I've had these jokes for oh, years. Perfect, but, perfect so, setup. Oh, perfect setups. Great. And uh, now I'm done. And the guy goes, "Just you know, how did you, how did you come up with that?" And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Those announcements." He's like, "You're really good." And I'm like, "Well, if I'm so good, maybe you should book me to come back here." You know, and uh, you know, but it was just a good example of. How I rolled back then, which was, you know, I drove an hour in a convertible with no driver's license to do 10 minutes for free. And uh, I've always been that way. I just, if you want to get work, you got you to gotta go up and let them see what you can do. I don't like videotapes. I like to meet them. I like to see, I like them to see what I'm like personally and, you know, what I'm like on stage. So, uh, yeah, it was just... Those jokes, you know, they're called stock, guys. Stock jokes. Like, uh, here's a stock joke. Uh, hey, how many kids you have? And the guy goes, three. And I go, three. One of each? You know what I mean? So they're like little laughs. They get, jo- they get laughs, those stock jokes. I-, I know. They get laughs every time. Stock jokes are, I don't know who wrote these jokes, but they are foolproof. I mean... You know, like, uh, hey, you're Italian. What do you do for a living? On the books. You know, there's like a million of these things. But you don't want to do too much, fellas, because then you're considered. I was always considered a road comic. Have you ever heard that term? No, explain that to us. 
right, let's say I go to Manhattan, the comic strip. It took me 10 times to perform at the comic strip before they passed me. Meaning I could work there. And the guy kept saying to me, he goes, you're a road comic. And I go, what does that mean? And he's like, you'll kill on the road, but you're just not unique enough to work here. He goes, I don't need another white monologist. So I was like, well, tell me what to do. He goes, you've got to come up with a character. You've got to do it in seven minutes, and it's got to be unique, memorable. So I came up with this character. You know, it's, called, it's all about me. And the guy really liked it. And um, I wound up going to Los Angeles. I had this agent. And it's funny because Zach Galifianakis and Jim Gaffigan had the same agent at the time. And uh, Who is it? Who's you know, the agent? All, her name was Renee Glicker. She was a, uh, I grew up with this guy named Dave Glicker and I used to do shows for him. He owned uh, Long Island Brewery Company in Westbury. I don't know how his sister got, she was working for Abrams Artists, which was a pretty big TV and film agent. And she had organized this, this, um, this showcase and she had the talent on this show. Like I said, Jim Gaffigan, Zach Galifianakis and the guy who told me how to come up with the character. He was there because he was managing Jim Gaffigan. And when I came off, he goes, that's what I'm talking about. I killed. I had the best set of the night. And, uh, you know, that guy really helped me because instead of, fellas, instead of saying to him things like, I'm great, I don't need you. I just to say, tell me what to do. Tell me what you want. And, you know, he helped me so much with that. Well, you know, I took that comedy class at Governors with Carrie Carabas. I told you that, right? right? She told us all very, very, from the beginning, you have to be a character up there. You have to develop your character. So she was, she gave us great advice from the very beginning. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, when you mentioned Carrie Carabas, Carrie and I started out together. Me, her, and a boyfriend, you know, we used to go all over the place. I remember one time, me, her, and George Gallo, we drove all the way to Connecticut. Joker's Wild was the club. Joe Rogan was there. And the owner, and the owner was just this amazing cocaine head. You could just see. <laughs> so he wound up, he wouldn't book me and George, but he booked Carrie because she was so hot. I mean, that's just the way it worked. Who was Carrie's boyfriend at the time? Her boyfriend? She, uh, she had this one guy she went out with for years. I forget his name, but he was very big and very scary. And he's the only guy I've ever known in my life who put Joe Rogan in his place because he caught Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan used to hit on my girlfriend. He, he wasn't, you know, he was just, wasn't anything serious. But, you know, he, he put Joe against the wall and he, he, he was, you know, he just let him know. And Joe was actually mildly scared of him because Joe is a badass dude, bro. Joe was a black belt in karate at the time. But uh, Carrie was very funny. She had a character called a Andrea Nice Day. She used to put on a leather jacket, smoke a cigarette, and do female dice Oh, clothing. I heard about this bit. I've never seen it. I heard it was great. Yeah, and Carrie and I were friends, and that's the thing about... You see, now it's very hard to start out as a comedian, but we had open mics every night of the week. Governors, Brokerage, Conkama Comedy, Eastside Comedy, 
uh, with me, Joe Rogan, uh, Keith Anthony, Rock Rubin, Gary Valentine, Adam Ferrara, Kevin James. And when I mention all these names, there's two ways people go with it. They're like, oh, wow, you started out with those guys. That must have been cool. But the way people usually go with, wow, they're on TV and you're here. <laughs> and you're in Lake Worth. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, but when we started out, we, we were so raw. Joey Cola was the host and Peter Bales would host. He would put 30 guys up. I'm not kidding. 30 guys. And these guys. So, so Scott, so, you know, so Scott, I want to talk about this a little bit. So you started when you, how old were you when you started doing comedy? The first time I did comedy, I was 19 years old. Uh, January 14th, 1988. You remember the exact date? I, oh, I remember everything about everything. But uh, okay, yeah. and, this, and uh, uh, one second, these open mics that you were doing, what age were you then? I want to see how much time elapsed before this open mic thing started with everybody. Well, I started, first time I did, I was 19 years old. I did a show at Chuckles in Mineola. That was another great place for us. When I graduated college in 1990, I came back home, living with my parents, so I didn't have, you know, expenses. So from 91 to 94 was when, I, 90 to 94 is when I did, did the open mics. I did them just, and, and governors also loved me, but loved me, but, they used to let me do guest spots on the weekends, and I loved going there because they let me drink for free. All right, so, so, and, so tell Andrew and I, walk us through your first onstage experience at Chuckles. Oh, God, it was, it was insane. First of all, 150 people came to see me, and I'm not exaggerating. All friends and families. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's how it works in the beginning. Yeah, the first show, and um, I had just gotten arrested a month before for a DWI and uh, like the next day I remember my was getting revoked and I just I was there and I was a heavy drinker at the time and um, they charged me for drinks which was kind of weird because I had 150 people there but <laughs> I just drank Long Island iced teas drank a bunch of Long Island iced teas I did 16 minutes um I had, a, I had this outfit I used to wear. It was an overcoat and a hat. It was kind of cool, you know, and I got a lot of laughs that night okay. only because I had 150 friends. All right, there. so, but how did you how did you get on stage? Like, what led up to you being on stage? Were you doing open mics? How did you end up on stage there? Uh, well, well, my whole life, I was, I was voted class clown. I went to Holy Trinity High School, and um, I was very funny. I was... It was weird. I was smart and funny because I was the smallest guy in my class. Like, I was so small that it was nearly mascot-like. <laughs> mascot-like. Um, Good line. I had to... Now, I was very popular, and my friends that I grew up with, it wasn't like anybody messed around with me, you know what I mean? And, you know, I went through a phase where I had braces and you know and but the point i'm making is i was always funny you know always funny and you know i just wanted i always wanted to do comedy and you did like i just didn't like uh, like stand-up comedy when did it come into your mind that hey i want to get on stage in front of 150 people and do a bit like how, how did that happen i remember uh i was in 10th grade and i started doing shows 
for my friends. I started rap. I would rap. I would do impressions yes. at parties. Yeah, that's and, what I want to know. Yeah, know that's we, what I want to know about. Like, so you guys were just hanging out in somebody's basement, and and then you just started doing stuff. Yeah, I had this thing I used to do, and everybody would listen to it. It was, it was to the to the Beatles, "Twist and Shout." And what I would do is, I would just make up the words to whatever is going on, like. We'll shake it up, Andrew, now. And then I would, I would make up the words, you know. And uh, after I did stand-up the first time, oh, my God, I was hooked. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, so yeah. how did you end up on stage, though? Did you take a class there? Like, how'd you, how'd you get on stage? I mean, okay, you're in front of your friends. You're a funny guy. How did, I still don't know how you ended up on stage. Well, I didn't. I never took a comedy class. I, I We all kind of learned from each other, and... I just called up Chuckles, and I said, listen, I got a lot of friends who come see me. They said, okay, January 14th, Thursday night, come down, bring your friends, and... Uh, okay, so you, okay, okay, you know, so it was like an open mic type thing, like they have at the Improv, uh, West Improv here in Long Island, uh, Florida. Every Wednesday night, if you bring five guys, you can get on stage. They have like an open mic type thing. Yeah, and I, you know, Peter Bales was the host, and Peter is a lifelong friend of mine, so they... They had to put me up last because I had so many friends there. And once I got off, you know, they were going to, this is Lake Worth, just noise everywhere. I'm walking around. So what happened was because I went up last, I wound up drinking a little more than I wanted to. But when I went up, it's like the magic of the stage. It was like I was sober. And, uh, you know, I had... I had a routine. Right. Right. So when you get on stage, when you get on stage at night, did you know any other comics like Peter? But did you know anyone, or you were just fresh out from whatever? No, I didn't know anybody, okay. and uh, it was the same thing, guys. You know, there was like fifteen guys there. I mean, I didn't know anybody. How how nervous were you? Do you remember? I wasn't nervous at all. I, I probably drank ten Long Island iced teas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't nervous. Because of the drinking, I also wasn't, you know, basically, there wasn't time to be nervous because, let's say I was outside smoking a cigarette. I'd see 10 of my friends. Uh, you know, people were coming up, all my friends were there. So, you know, it wasn't friends and family, it was friends. And they were always talking to me. Like, let's say somebody went to the bathroom, they were like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, so it was just kind of drinking and talking. And, you know, and when I went up, you know, it, I killed, but it wasn't that I was funny, that I had 150 friends there. Yeah, so did you practice and have something down verbatim? Uh, I had a basic outline. I wasn't good enough to talk to the crowd. I had to stay with my bits. So I remember uh, I was one of these guys. I used to write material on my hand, like... Uh, like, let's say when I got arrested in Virginia Beach, that was my best bit I did. I just wrote Virginia Beach, and I would look down at my hands. And, uh, yeah, you know, the weirdest thing about it, guys, was I thought that I was like a comedic genius, you know, my first time. And then I remember going up the second time, and things weren't so funny anymore. Wait, is that Chuckles also? Oh, that one was at Governor's. How, how long after the first time did you go up at Governor's? I don't think, you know what it was? Probably a month. So what happened at Governor's? 
it didn't go well at all. It was embarrassing. Uh, I was with my girlfriend. I had a beautiful girlfriend at the time. We're losing you a little bit. You know what I used to have? Yeah, that's right. How about now? Is Much good? better. So, I used to forget my act. It's something that happened to me for the first three years of my career. I didn't even have a career at that point, but I would black out, and I wasn't good enough. I would just stand there and, and look at my hand, and it was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> But what really happened, guys, was I went away to school, to Oneonta State. I went there for two years. That's when everything started happening because I was a DJ on the radio station. I was the lead singer of a very popular band, and I did stand-up. So what I used to do is when the comedians would come up, you know, I would open up for them. So this is on the college um, campus. Scott, I just want to be clear about what this is because I'm not clear. This is on the college campus? Yeah, this is at Oneonta. They used to hire – Omnipop used to book it. Um, they used to hire, you know, like Dan Wilson and all these big acts, and they would come up and do an hour, and I would just go up and do like 10 minutes before them. And you did, and why did they let you up? Because you went to the school and you just asked to? I became friendly with the activities director and the real reason he booked me was the same reason everybody booked me. I brought people to the show and I didn't do it. You got to bring five people. I was a very popular guy on campus. You know, I was in a fraternity okay. and you know, we had a lot of fun there, but um, that was amazing because, you know, these guys were some of the top comedians in the country and they would, I would hang out after and, Ask them for their feedback and suggestions. So were you were you hosting were you hosting the show? Uh, no. What I would do is I'd go up and do about ten fifteen minutes, and then I would introduce. I guess I was, but you know, they made it very clear before I went on stage when they introduced me. They were like, uh, "This act is a student." <laughs> so so Scott like. How many times were you performing like once a month or 10 times a month? Like how much practice were you getting? Because that's, that's, that's why you're in comedy today is because of that. Well, what happened was I got funny in 1997. It happened on April 4th. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I can remember when it happened. Uh, how old, how, uh, how old were you though? I, I need ages. How old were you? When then? Yeah. When you got funny. Uh, when I got funny, I was about 29. Okay, so about 10 oh, years later. 10 years into comedy. Okay. But let me tell you something. What I lacked in being funny, I made up for with tenacity. I had the best headshots, resumes. I used to pound people. I, I used to call people, you know. And I did this show at Caroline's in Manhattan. Again, I don't mean to scare you. January 3rd, 1994. <laughs> and uh, you're supposed to bring 15 people. I brought 15 people. I made a, a video. There was a guy in the crowd that night. I had a killer set. It was 12 minutes. Let me tell you how intense I was. I practiced that 12 minutes for five months. Ooh. The same 12 minutes. I did it at Governor's. I did it at Brokerage. I, I just, and I pretended like that it was bigger than it was. Like They were like, oh, our next act is practicing a set that he's going to be doing at Caroline. I was just doing a show at Caroline's, you know? But for me... It was the biggest thing ever. So I killed 
there was this guy in the crowd. He he was his name was Bill Persky. He created Kate and Allie, the the Mary Tyler Moore show. He was kind of an old timer, but he got really interested in me, and that's when I met managers like Barry Katz and Jeff Sussman. I got an uh, agent, Ruth Ann Secunda, for uh, from Abrams Artists. I started uh, acting. I started uh, going on auditions. So it just my tenacity worked. Uh, I just wish I was a little funnier. Okay, so so Scott, I just want to clear my mind. The first ten years, I've I've read that it takes about ten years to get funny and have a, like a comfortable stage presence. And you just said the same thing. Would you generally agree with that? It takes about ten years. Uh, I, I think each case is its own. Like someone like Keith Anthony walked on stage the first night. He was unbelievable. I, I mean, it, to each his own. But I will say this. Um, my stage presence was just, it couldn't have been any better because I was arrogant, uh, you know, and I masked my arrogance. My the, I masked my lack of being funny with arrogance. So my stage presence was very solid. You know, uh, once I got past that phase of forgetting my act. Because I, I remember when I hit the 10-year mark about five years ago, I, I finally, for the first time, I wouldn't say I was confident, but I felt comfortable. I felt like, okay, this is okay now. Like, I wasn't freaking out. And so, for me, 10 years was a number as well. Yeah, no, I think that, that comes... You know, I remember I met this guy, Jim Myers, and I, I just met... It's kind of like Aaron Rodgers you know, learning from Brett Favre. I, I, I met all these guys, and, like, Jim Myers said this to me. I go, Jim, I, I, I don't know how to do this. And he said, Scott, just write one funny joke a week, and you'll have a half hour at the end of the year. And he was right. And uh, and I got great advice from a lot of guys, especially Joey Cole. So, so for the first 10 years, Scott, were you – doing like 10 minutes? Like, were you ever doing an hour? Like, what kind of time were you doing the first 10 years? Were you, ever he you were headlining then, too? No, no. What I was doing was um, I did a lot of shows with Joe Rogan. So I would uh, I would go up. Joe and I just loved working together. Probably did about 70 shows together. I mean, I loved, Joe loved, like, you know, I was the perfect lead-in for him. But what Joe loved the most, was how much I loved Joe. Every time he came off stage, I was like, you are the funniest guy I have ever seen. And who wouldn't like that? Plus, I had a really hot girlfriend, and he used to hit on her because we used to go on the road together. Um, so but for the first 10 years, you were doing 10 or 15 minutes at a time tops. Is that correct? Oh, no, no. I could do 30, 40 minutes. Doesn't mean it was funny, though. Okay. okay. You know what I mean? Okay. I told... Like, I... I I would I would mix it up, guys. Like I had a lot of songs I did, so I would try to do stand up, and if it didn't work, I would just go to a song. You know, I've always sang in my act, and uh, that's what Joe said to me. Joe said, "Scott, why don't you work less on the songs and more on writing jokes?" And I said, "Joe, how do I do it?" And he showed me. Joe Rogan showed me how to do it, and uh, that's what you know. By going on the road with these guys, I used to go on the road with. Uh, Gary Valentine, who was Kevin James' brother. Um, you know, and I learned from these guys, you so, know. And I went down to Florida. The best thing I ever did, no one in New York would book me. So I went to North Carolina, Ohio, uh, Virginia, Florida, you know, because I didn't, I didn't work, and I just went anywhere. So I got paid with 
Long Island. Yeah, so, so, yeah I was going to ask you, what kind of money were you making for the first 10 years in all these gigs? What do they pay these guys? What, do, what were you getting paid? It was, in the beginning, I got to be honest with you, I was paid in chicken fingers and white rice. <laughs> I believe it. I didn't care. I just loved going. So for 94, it broke in 95. I was getting paid $1,800 a week on this NFL tour. 96, I, I started studying acting. I was probably, if I go on the road, I was probably making a thousand a week, but I had to, I was an op I was a feature act. So I had to pay for my own flight. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you know, they put me up in a well, hotel. Who, who booked I all these gigs? When you're on the road, see like the comics say nobody goes on the road kind of anymore. Like I've never been on the road. So can you tell me who books all the road gigs? Did, were you booking them yourself? That's a very interesting question. I, I, I got this thing called the USA Comedy Guide, okay? And what it was was had a list of every club in the country and who books it. So I had my video from Caroline's, you know, the 12-minute video. Okay. And what I did was I looked at the clubs and I found out who booked multiple rooms. Like, and I said, you know, out the tapes. And let's say I sent out 20 tapes. There's a there's, there's a headshots. There's a resume. There's a press kit. Of course, the video, and maybe three guys would respond. So let's say I got a gig in North Carolina. I'm making seven hundred for three nights. I would drive down to North Carolina, and I would just do guest spots all along the way. I would book shows in Virginia. You know what I mean? So, so you work for free all the it, way, all the way down there. You just worked for free, just dropped in at guest spots here and there. 